Welcome to Press Play and Surrender. I'm your host, Owen McQuinn, and I'm an Irish filmmaker and actor. This is my chance to speak to artists of all kinds, as well as industry players, from up-and-comers to established talent. My guest today is Cody Farron. Cody is a Meath-based writer and director whose work includes the short film An Irish Goodbye and the upcoming short Animal. Cody has also written three feature screenplays and was selected to pitch at the Dublin Screenwriting Festival. Cody and I studied together at IDT. It was great to have a chance to catch up. So here's me talking to Cody Farron. Hey Cody, how are you today? How are you, Owen? Good to see you, man. I'm good. Thanks so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time. Of course, man. Absolutely. Like, we go back, man, you know, masters and screenwriting together back two years right. ago now, so. Yeah, it's kind of, it is mad, yeah, how long it's been. Like, it really doesn't feel like that long ago. Uh, we were doing yeah, it remotely mad, yeah. because yeah, of COVID. Doing this. <laughs> exactly. This exact thing, yeah. Exactly. So, that prepped me for this uh, podcast, so. Yeah, I mean, since then, we might have slid into each other's DMs on Instagram <laughs> whenever, like, we're watching a movie and we snap a still of the film, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, oh, that's a good film, oh, that's a great yeah. film, yeah. So that's kind of yeah, nice to kind of keep this... in touch. Yeah, yeah, we have the same uh, taste in cinema, it seems, which is always good, so we kind of cross paths yeah. in that way, you know? I mean, there were a couple of in-person days at the beginning of our screenwriting MA and like, yeah, I think we chatted once or twice and we did start talking about like Bergman, Ingmar Bergman and Robert Eggers yeah. and things like that. And I'm like, yeah, this is great. We're going to have a great, ch- great time, like, you know, throughout this whole year, you know, on yeah. in the canteen or on the bus, we can talk about movies and it just didn't happen. No, we're all just confined to this. But it's funny, considering that, like, I think with it being screenwriting, I benefited a little bit from it because we, like, I wasn't going to do any writing on campus, you know? Like, you do class, like, but when I was, when we were at home, at least after class, like, I could just get stuck into working on whatever we had to work on straight away. So I kind of benefited in that sense. Um, and we did gain a huge amount of time by not having to commute. Like, you would have had a long yeah. commute, right? Yeah. Coming from Betty's Town to Dunleary, it was nearly an hour and a half, like, so. Yeah. Just, well, that way I got to wake up at 5 to 10 and start a class. Exactly. Roll out of bed. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Uh, well, if you could just tell me a little bit about where you grew up and maybe what your parents did. Um. Yeah, well, funny. I grew. I'm from Bettystown in in Mead, which is just a tiny bit of coast that Mead has that no one thinks exists, but it's fairly close to Drogheda and Loud. So I kind of know more about or Drogheda and Dublin. So I kind of know more about Dublin and Drogheda than I do about the rest of Mead. Funnily enough, like just living on that okay. area. Um, and then mom and dad just had regular jobs. Like neither of them now be creative in my family except myself. Right. Which is yeah. kind of funny. Like they're all very supportive, and my mom and dad were always very supportive of it, and yeah. my my cousins and my sister and all that kind of stuff. But nobody was really kind of into the arts. I think every man in my family is an electrician, except for <laughs> me. So you're <laughs> not a nepo baby. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not at all. No. Sometimes I look at my dad and say, "Why couldn't you have just tried to be a director and just you know <laughs> threw me a bone?" And, yeah um, but yeah so but they're no they are they're all very supportive like and especially now after doing the masters and then making 
almost making out two films that are kind of like, oh yeah, he's serious about this. This is real. Like he's actually yeah ahead with it. You know, after that's so cool. Time. I mean, and would there have been particular movies growing up like that would have thought made you think, oh, I really want to do this? Or how young were you when you decided you wanted to do it? It's funny. I think. Like I was obsessed with like movies and cartoons and stuff as a kid, and but I kind of I think when I was very small, I associated like anything live action with adults, and like that was for adults. So I always just watched cartoons and like whether they were like on whatever Cartoon Network, Disney Channel, blah blah blah, or the Den back in the day when all we had was two, two channels. Um, and then I think, like I think I went to see the first Harry Potter film with my dad, so I must have been about six, and. I was kind of blown away by like the special effects, which probably don't look too great now. But at the time I was kind of like, oh, my God. And my father was kind of explaining to me with whatever knowledge he had of how they did it. And it wasn't animated and stuff. And I, you know, like a lot of people when they're small, when they first get into film, they want to be an actor because it's all you see. You don't understand that there's other stuff behind it. So from a small age, I wanted to be an actor. But that kind of died very quickly. I think I got into I became very interested in like literature and I was reading a lot. And then I, I think when I was in, then I wanted to be a director because, you know, we had access to watching all the behind the scenes of on DVDs and stuff. Do you remember that? Like I used to get like, Oh yeah. It was the dark nights and and the Harry Potter films and stuff. And you'd watch all the behind the scenes, actually the Lord of the Rings, that was Mm. massive amount of behind the scenes footage. And that kind of gave me a better idea of what was going on. And then I was like, right, I wanted to direct. And then, yeah, I slowly realized that I wanted to direct specific stories, these ones that I wanted to tell. And I was like, oh, now I have to be a writer. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. I was like, no, I don't have to do that. You can't necessarily rely on someone else giving you the kind of script that appeals to you. So you need to make it happen. Yeah, 100%. And that's I remember kind of having that directorial feeling myself when I was maybe mm. 10 or 11 like or a bit younger as well because I'd be kind of a loner in the schoolyard I'd be walking mm. around and like imagining shots and trying yeah, to piece yeah. together a narrative and like observing yeah. people as if it was a shot rather than yeah just to take yeah. my mind off the fact that no one wanted to play with me like it was, <laughs> yeah like I, I was definitely Sad. that kid when we were playing games I'd be like, no, this is what we have to do. Your backstory is this. And you have to stand over here and you have to come in. And they're like, Cody, we just want to shoot each other. You know, I was like, no, (laughs) no, it has to make sense. We need to like, like, you know, playing with swords and trying to recreate scenes from like Lord of the Rings from memory. Exactly. Yeah. And the the other kids are just like, let's just play the game. Like, would you have been making stuff with like a family video camera at any point or no, not, not really. I was kind of, I was kind of always a bit tech phobic, even as a kid, which is funny considering like kids these days can, you know, do anything on a laptop or an iPad. But I was always kind of tech phobic and there was never really cameras lying around the house or anything like that. My family weren't really like that. So, but I got into, I used to draw a lot. So I draw all the time and I draw comic books and, and then I got into like creative writing. So I'd write and write and write as a kid. They're probably somewhere. There's probably piles and piles of crap that I wrote as a teenager or as a as a child. But that's yeah, kind yeah. of how that started, you know. Um, but like even then, I knew I didn't want to like, like I knew I didn't want to be the person even touching the camera, which I still don't yeah. want to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this. I'm the same who, way. I'm a bit like yeah. technical <clears throat> phobic. Um, yeah. But then, 
you know, story, they're almost like storyboards, comic books. Mm. Like it is very much thinking about angles and storytelling yeah. and shots. So would you have read comic books as well or? Yeah, like I was kind of I was mad into comic books and anything kind of fantastical when I was a kid, I loved anything like sci-fi mm. or fantasy and stuff and, you know, comic books and all that. So it's kind of funny when like when I was about 13 and the Marvel thing started, I was like the ripe age. And then it, it just disappeared from me so quickly. Like, I just kind of didn't care about anything kind of fantasy or sci-fi or anything. I suddenly, like, my initial love for cinema was, like, the spectacle of stuff like that. And then I think it came back around now and I'm more interested in, even as a teenager, into the more kind of grounded stories about people and stuff, you know? Yeah. Kind of changed. yeah. I think it kind of had I, I, a moment I remember. I think I was watching, I watched American Beauty when I was about too young i was probably about 13 or something and i was watching it with my dad and he was like he it was like past my bedtime or whatever and he was like i'm going to bed but you can stay up and watch this because it's a great film and that film just blew my mind like i'd never seen a drama yeah. like that you know that wasn't yeah. you know eastenders or something that was on the telly like it, no yeah, i mean i think i was around that age watching it as well and it was so powerful and it felt so yeah. profound at the time you yeah. know even though it was just a floating plastic bag like it yeah, felt yeah, yeah. incredible yeah. beautiful um yeah i mean so then around the time that you had to choose where to go to college by then it was solidified in your mm-hmm. mind was it that you yeah like it's, all, it's all i ever it's all i wanted to do like i just even from when i when i think when i got into like ty i knew the course i wanted to do i wanted to go to dundalk it because i knew i could live up there i wanted to move and I kind of have that college experience so i wanted to move there and do their film course and i kind of knew immediately um i think i did my first directorial debut when i was in uh ty we had to make a film I made like a, it was like a hand, what do you call it? Like a found footage yeah, zombie film, which I'm sure is on YouTube somewhere, but please no one look for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And I like, that's all I wanted to do. And then fifth and sixth year, I really put the head down and was like, right, I need to get my points because I knew how many points I needed. And I wrote down one course in my CAO and the guidance counselor was giving out yards. She was like, you can't have, you have to put more than one course. You have to put, 20 or whatever it was and i was like i'm only putting down one course because either if i don't do it i'm not going if i like if i don't get it i'm not going because otherwise yeah. i'm wasting someone else's time by taking up a space in another course that someone else wants to do and i just don't want to do it yeah uh, well it paid off because i did i got the exact points i went to the college so i was fairly fairly Brilliant. happy like you know yeah, yeah and like I don't know if you want to go into it too much, but you I remember mm-hmm. you telling me your college experience was wild. Like, was it actually yeah. crazy yeah, in some it way? Was, it was fairly mad. I think Dundalk IT is probably one of the last kind of party colleges like left. Like there was like that in Galway, and then there was a big kind of stamp down on Galway. But now I don't know what it's like now. I've been grad- I left in 2018, but it was it was fairly crazy. And I think that kind of shaped a lot of just like in life experience as a like living up, to, like being 18 and then moving out and just, you know, minding yourself, or whatever, and then living in this kind of madness. Like I made loads of great friends as well and lots of friends that like I worked with, that, like on, on my last film, An Irish Goodbye, like two, three of my friends who I'd went, gone to college with and that we used to make films in college with together all worked on it, which was, which was nice. Okay, that's brilliant. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, to have that continuation, like, I guess, how long ago was it? Maybe five years ago or six when you graduated that course? Yeah, two, 2018, yeah, uh, November yeah. 2018. So, yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, feeling getting old now. I know. I, can't, <laughs> I, thought I'd have a feature, I thought I'd have a feature film on the way by now, but sure, look. That's, yeah, that's well, it's not something you want to rush, right? Um, yeah, that's true. Then, unless you look at like Xavier Dolan and he's like he was 19 when he made his first feature or something don't mind don't mind that fella <laughs> I do like his I do like his work but I'm pretty sure he's an epo baby in, in some way as well. yeah um so yeah do you feel like obviously I mean everyone pretty much everyone watches movies growing up but was there a time when you felt you had like a cinematic awakening in a way like where you went deeper and saw world cinema or saw classics and older movies was what age were you when that happened it was probably around like 13 14 15 yeah. maybe but like it was kind of the big one i remember was film four back in the day used to have used to do great have great films all the time and they'd they do like you know their fry fest season and they'd show kind of obscure horror films that you'd never kind of see anywhere else and as well like kind of ironic enough my friend's mother used to run a a, a video shop a dvd shop in Bettystown, and we used to hang out in that shop all the time because uh, right. his older brother was his older brother worked there and so he used to recommend us films all the time to watch and i remember he, he told me to go home and watch um a clockwork orange and uh event horizon he was like these are the two scariest films i've ever seen and i was like 14 and i was like oh my goodness like <laughs> yeah. i had no idea who stanley kubrick was like you know yeah. i didn't know anything about it but it for that to be like, your first kubrick would be pretty intense yeah. as well like yeah, it's yeah. not yeah. you know it's not for the faint-hearted yeah uh, i think i went that and then i watched um like again i was obsessed with kind of like ho- horror and, and stuff like that as a kid as well like i was terrified of it but i was obsessed with it like i like mm. i seen the texas chainsaw massacre when i was like eight me and my friend watched it and were absolutely ruined and then the next kubrick i seen was the shining it was on the rt1 big big movie and it that sent me west as well i was terrified again i was like 30 yeah. or something and then kind of as you got older you like you realize who these directors are you know like my yeah imdb becomes films. your friend right yeah absolutely yeah and like my father would show me a lot of films like i remember he sat me down and showed me rage and bull goodfellas you know pulp fiction you know the godfathers all them and to be honest most of them when i was like 13 or 14 they kind of really went over my head and i they you know i thought they were a bit long and a bit whatever and then it came the whole other way around by the time i was 16 17 and i was like these are the greatest films of all time yeah, you know right kind of blew my mind and um yeah. i do think as well like just having a dvd shop or a, a rental shop yeah. having those physical copies in all yeah. these different genres and it's not about the licensing for such and such a streaming platform yeah. everything is available there like yeah 100%. i think kids today are probably missing out on that like people who may be cinematically minded it's harder for them to discover things possibly yeah no i completely agree because like if you're on any streaming services now you're kind of they put the algorithm pushes their own content at the end of the day whether it's good or not so like you know you kind of have to do a good bit of searching sometimes to find good stuff and that feeling 
like I know we're going to sound like we're 100 years old here, but that feeling of going to the shop and actually picking a film and, you know, reading the covers. Like I remember getting uh, the Silence of the Lambs and not knowing anything about it. Just I just always remember that cover with the yeah. the the moth on it. And, and yeah. I think it's maybe yeah. Jodie Foster's face and just being like, I'm going to watch that one. And like we at home as well in my house, we had a huge big wall of VHS tapes at the time, um, which, you know, all the classics like Star Wars and all that kind of crack. But I remember watching Red Dragon as well I, when I was too young because it was just the case was there. And I was like, that looks interesting. And like Judge Dredd and all these mad films when I was a, a kid. Yeah. Like, you know? I think I remember like the case for Evil Dead or something like that or yeah. Eyes Wide Shut or, you know, very distinctive covers. Yeah. But again, we don't really have great movie posters as much these days. Yeah. You know, like, I completely agree. The design. I think when I got to about 17 or 18, that's when the whole director thing started, as in like, oh, this is Tarantino. I'm going to watch all the Tarantino's films. Okay, yeah. they're amazing. This is Scorsese. I'm going to watch all of his films. Who's Scorsese's favorite directors? Oh, it's these guys. I'm going to watch his, all of his or her films. Yeah. And, you know, kind of, you end up down this rabbit hole. Like, I used to actually keep a, a list of the films I need to watch and the films I have watched. And I just found it redundant because it just like it just grows and grows and grows and grows. Right. So it's the same as like I hate when somebody buys me a book to read because mm. I'm not going to read it. I feel like with my own cinematic journey or whatever you want to call it, like I have to discover the films by myself. Like, yeah, in an organic way, them. maybe. Yeah, like even when you're in college, like you know, somebody could be sitting you down to watch *Hour of the Wolf*, the Bergman film, but. You just if you if that's not where you are yet, you're not going to get anything from it. Whereas, yeah. like, like no one did t- tell me to watch like Bergman films, and when I kind of discovered them, I was like, "Holy shit, this guy's unbelievable!" And kind of went down that rabbit yeah. hole myself. Um, and even Xavier Dolan that we were talking about there, and just kind of, you know, Lars von Trier and all these kind of not even that I really like all this stuff that much, but just as an example, like you kind of discovered them on your journey some other yeah. filmmaker recommends them and then you're like oh look at this boom 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 and i think that's kind of the best way to grow your kind of the act of interest to want to watch new and bold material i think is very important yeah but it has to be almost self-directed like for it yeah. to for you to really have the motivation to do it um mm, okay so absolutely. let's talk a bit then after the ma was it after our ma that you shot your first short film yeah, yeah. So we graduated twenty seventh of October, and I shot the twenty seventh and twenty eighth of November. I shot oh. my short film, an Irish Goodboy. Um, I had been, I kind of like because I knew we were coming up to the end, so I've been prepping since we finished kind of our all our submissions, which was whatever August, and then I just went straight into prep, and I knew I wanted to make something straight away. I just had to make something, and I kind of. I'm a big believer of, you know, creating your own industry. Like lots of actors do it. And I think lots of writers and directors should do it. Someone's not going to give you an opportunity. Just do it yourself. So I kind of cobbled together a measly three and a half grand and made a film, which I think looks like about eight or nine, which I'm quite happy with, you know. Yeah, kind of I am surprised to, to hear it was only three and a half. Like it looks yeah. like a lot more. Um, yeah, no, it's yeah, such it was, a good really film. Like. It. I I think I watched it maybe three months ago. You sent me a link, mm. and now it's publicly available. But can you tell us a yeah. little bit about like maybe what the film is about for people who don't know? So, um, an Irish good boy, I kind of use as a metaphor for 
like everyone knows in Irish goodbyes when someone leaves without saying they're going to leave, whether it's from a party or a social event or whatever. And I kind of decided to use that as a metaphor for suicide, where our character basically comes to this this thought process and decides, I'm just going to leave without saying anything because he's struggling to write a letter for his parents and that. But it's really in that within that, which is obviously a real the real epidemic of our time, young people kill themselves and no one seems to know why. And there's a million reasons why and there's a million reasons that don't make sense either. And I kind of wanted to examine that. I wanted to examine the modern Irish youth culture's relationship with our mental health, with a relationship with drugs and sex and love and as well our relationship with what it means to be Irish now as opposed to what it was for my father or my father's father and that kind of difference and I think the story is told obviously it's it's kind of not really a straight narrative it jumps back and forth and it's it's more of a montage kind of film um which I wanted it to be from the start like when I wrote it that was the whole idea um, and they tell you not to do a film with a voiceover on the first shot but I was like I'll do what I want like you know what I mean it, I thought it worked better like I think people are quite surprised when they watch it because it, when you read the, like when you hear about a film about suicide and young people you expect it to be one kind of film and I think I approach it in a completely different way even the tone is quite um, there's like a sarcastic nihilism to it which I think is a major uh flag of our generation in Ireland specifically there's kind of yeah everything's fucked but it's kind of we're just going to kind of laugh about it you know nobody can buy a yeah. house the world's burning around us you know we can't trust our yeah. government all this kind of stuff and I think that was an important note when I was working with Pranel Pranel Scott who actually was actually an old friend of mine since we were kids um I kind of said that to him I was like this is meant to be kind of he's kind of sarcastic he knows None of the reasons he gives are necessarily definitive, so he's kind of la- he kind of laughs them off in a way. They're kind of funny, but he's he's in a in a way he's serious. Like what he's talking about isn't not true, but it's also not necessarily the reason for why he's deciding to take his own life and kind of come out of here. You know yeah, I mean? he's just he's sort of musing on his whole existence in a way, mm. and but it mightn't necessarily be the reason for it. Maybe he's just hopeless. Maybe he's just yeah. Um, doesn't see a way out. Um, yeah. But I, I think, I th- yeah, sorry, go on. No, I was just uh, going to say, <laughs> like, people often would discourage you from doing something with voiceover and montage and a short mm-hmm. film. Like, they, they would say, like, you know, you should be able to tell a voice, uh, story without a voiceover. But I think this one works yeah. so well. Like, I think it flows so well and it's really nicely shot and it's very realistic like i totally believe mm. the interaction between the characters and the party scene and everything yeah. like how did you yeah, actually that, achieve that kind of realism um i guess i kind of i i wrote it i wrote the film to make it for like 500 quid that was the idea and i didn't and then i kind of wrote some things which i think are quite honest and profound in the voiceover um which are very much related to my own experience and my friends' experiences. And then when I kind of read them, I went, oh, fuck, that's quite that's quite honest. So I, I wrote it to make it for 500 euros. So I said, voiceover, you know, let's not worry about this, blah, blah, blah. Then I got three and a half grand. And then suddenly I was able to elevate the material to another level then. So I think if you kind of, 
if you write down a little bit sometimes, like if you write something like in a one room with three actors or something, and then suddenly you get five or ten grand, like you can elevate that material to a whole other level as opposed to trying to stretch the pennies that you have, I think is a really good way of kind of approaching it. And um, sorry, I forgot what your original question was there. Yeah, no, I was just saying, like, how did you achieve that realism? Like, I guess it comes from also the the writing is good, but maybe picking the right actors as well who can be believable and truthful. Yeah, so that's why, like, I got um, uh, my friend Parnell Scott. He's a a great actor. He's from Northern Ireland. And we've been, literally, we were friends since we were about 10. And we just both happened to get into the industry, which is just funny. And he did an audition for me and he did one in his Northern Irish accent, one in his Southern accent. And I was like, keep your Northern Irish accent because it adds a real lyricism to the voiceover, which I really mm. like. And then when I was kind of cobbling people together, like I got my friend James Cadden and uh, Kieran Dowland. James is a stand up and Kieran is just one of the funniest people I know, but he's done a lot of kind of like small roles here and there and i knew them too could um uh improvise really easily you know what i mean and that kind of added to it because when they're sitting together on the couch or when they're in the pub and stuff like james when they were sitting in the pub although you can't really hear him he was just rhyming off parts of his act which was great and that had people laughing on set or like uh, the actors laughing on set that i kind of cobbled together and then the same when we were doing the scene in the living room at the end when they're all kind of sitting on the couch that him and and Kieran were just I knew they were able to go back and forth for hours if we had a yeah. roll in the camera um which was great and then I just filled the house with all my friends and I was just like lads get yeah. in there um which is f- probably makes the film a little bit more personal as well because it's like it's mm. my house it's my friends it's shot in my town you know Pranel was wearing my clothes like it's suddenly yeah. When I kind of was in the edit room looking at it, I was like, oh, this is quite, it's more personal than I expected it to be. Like the people who don't know me probably would couldn't see it that way, but people who do right. know me will recognize those things. Like it's literally, yeah, which was. But it feels authentic. Um, yeah. And I was wondering then, how do you feel like now that you've done like a couple of shorts, how do you feel as a director when you're on set? Like, how do you lead a crew? What way do you approach it? Um. Collaboration, big time, is the most important thing in the world. Like on the short I've just done there called Animal. Um, this is a film I've been trying to make since my final year in college. They, I pitched it and they were like, no. And I was like, which I'm kind of happy about now because i got to make it so much better than I've had to made it in college. But finding the right people, you know. Um, worked with Alba Fernandez as my DOP on Animal and she is just amazing. Um, it was so great to work with her and I learned so much from working with her. And to have the kind of crew where... I like people who can give you answers instead of saying no. So if I say, I want to do this thing, and instead of them just saying, you can't do that, they'll say, I can give you this, this, this instead. It's like, great. You also, as a director, sometimes you have to put your foot down and say, I do want this, but I think you have to listen to the crew you've hired. They're better at the job that you hired them to do than you are. That's why you hired them. Like, sure, I could write, direct, produce, which I did and shoot it and edit it and all that stuff myself. But there are people out there who are better at that than you. Listen to them, take in all their good ideas. If they like the script and if they like you, they should want to do the best possible. You know what I mean? And I kind of like to say to people, <clears throat> the actors and the and the, the crew when I'm shooting, 
we're trying to make something bigger than me, bigger than all of you, bigger than all of our egos. Like if the film is up here. Let's make something that you're so proud of that even if your name wasn't on it, you'd be proud of it. It's not an ego trip. Let's just do what is best, what serves the film more than what serves me or you or you or you, whatever. Things like that. That's kind of how I like to approach it. And then just be sound. You know what I mean? People are working. They're trying to, they're, they're doing, they're doing your dream here. And like you want them to feel like they're doing something that they really want to do as well. So I think that's kind of the best way to approach it. Yeah. I do really like that idea as well of like, everyone kind of being on the same page and wanting to serve the story, even actors who can be very (laughs) insular and in their heads and playing their role. I really admire it's refreshing when an actor is thinking about the bigger picture and wanting it to be a story, a storytelling, uh, you know, pursuit. Uh, I also read your, I read your feature film script that you did on the MA, the Ossery. And yeah. it was really intense. Like it's it's very yeah. dark, you know. There's some really dark themes of like family and incest and suicide and yeah. uh, dark secrets. Those themes keep seeming to show up in all my work and all right. that's going on here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously, Oscar, something yeah, about them fascinates you, yeah. right? Yeah, I think like. The, with the Osprey anyway, like I'm super proud of that screenplay and I, I got to pitch it at the Dublin International Screenwriting Festival, which was great. There was 10, 10 writers were chosen to pitch to 10 production companies, one after another over like however long wow. that t- took. It was like it was like a marathon. It was like bam, 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 bam. It was great. I pitched that and I pitched my TV series Coke Boys that I, I wrote during that May as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when I was writing the Osprey, like I think when I'm writing features anyway, I've written three features now. Um, I kind of write within a genre and then kind of find out like, like to subvert it and add my own spin on it and whatever, like my shorts. I don't know whether they're really in a genre apart from drama, but that's just such a broad genre. Whereas yeah. like the three features I've written, uh, um, I wrote one called war by the sea, a brush of violence and the Osprey. And, you know, war by the sea is like a, neo-political western basically like think like um no country for old men meets calvary you know something like that and then a brush with violence is more like the kind of paul schrader taxi driver um american gigolo kind of character study and then right the osry is is absolutely a thriller and i and i kind of keeping that in mind helps you kind of pace the story because either otherwise it could just become this big bland drama with all you know dark secrets etc. But it kind of keeping it as a thriller, like it's an Irish gothic as I'd like to say, but it's a thriller, you know. And then that yeah really keeps the pace. And as a mystery as well, like when looking at reading other mystery novels and screenplays, it's like the character should be looking for one thing, but whatever they're looking for, they discover something much worse. And that's okay. kind of how I approach it. Like China, Chinatown, you know what I mean? He's looking for yeah. this. And then he finds this and it's way worse than what he could have expected. And that's kind of how I try to approach that screenplay anyway. Yeah, it's not linear. It's not predictable. There's yeah something deeper going on. You need to be able to surprise the audience, I suppose. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so where do you see yourself? Maybe, that's a horrible interview question. But where do you see yourself maybe in five years or what would you hope to be doing? 
Well, okay. So this short film Animal Now that I've I've shot is nearing the end of its. It's nearly finished. So hopefully that'll premiere this summer. Um, and then I'm writing another short at the moment and hoping to get funding for that. So either shooting this at the end of this year or next year, 2024. And then I think I'd kind of want to, I want to go into making a feature then. I'm not sure I want to make another short because then I'll have three shorts under my belt and I've written, I've written three features. I know how to write a feature. I think lots of filmmakers go from making shorts into making features and they haven't actually written a feature before. Whereas right. I kind of was writing features through all of lockdown, basically mm. from 2019 until I made an Irish goodbye. And then I had yeah. to kind of go backwards and go, right, how do I make write shorts again? Like even Animal, the one I just made, I wrote that first script in 2015. So like it's gotten a bit big. It's changed, obviously. Yeah. And now suddenly I'm sitting down at the, the, the table now writing this next short. And uh, I feel like I haven't written in ages. I'm kind of like, oh, fuck. I'm like, how do I do a short again? Yeah. Like it's already too long and I'm only kind of starting it off. And I wanted to make I want to make an exactly 10 page short two actors one location again and then if you get something like 10 grand you can really elevate that material right by having getting paying for good actors first of all and a great crew yeah. and then and a great location and then that can be it you know and that's kind yeah of, it is you, it it's almost better to just make it one scene that stands alone like yeah yeah for sure and i think any of any advice as well when i'm giving somebody if they're making shorts like Give it an ending. Make sure it has an ending. You know, lots of shorts don't have an ending. They just they just finish. Yeah, they just stop. And I think ambiguity doesn't necessarily work very well for shorts. Like no. it needs to be, yeah, clear. Give it an ending and don't make it too long. There's nothing worse than a short film that feels too long because it's already a short film. So you don't want, yeah. don't want it to be tight. Like with Animal that I just made there, the first cut was. 21 minutes or something and i was okay. like this is way too long and we yeah. got it down to exactly 15 oh, with wow. credits and that's and we didn't have to sacrifice basically anything of the story it wow. just goes to show how much crap you kind of you can trim the fat yeah 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 and yeah and i think that's a big part of directing as well if you're in the edit room edit suite the guy works with john clark who i'll probably work with forever now he's he's amazing old friend of mine as well from that i went to college with and you just have to be ruthless just cut and cut and cut and cut so i'm really I heard a great for people a great quote very short brief quote about directors and mm. the best ones i can't remember who said it but the guy who said it's the best directors are merciless oh absolutely like yeah in terms of how they approach actors they they don't give mm-hmm. people you know an easy pass like it's all yeah. about the finished result yeah and yeah like in the short just that. done um they, I, I worked with two great actors, Dane White O'Hara and, and Claire J. Loy, who I'm so excited for people to see their performances in it. And Johnny Harkin as well, who's a, a young lad and he's only kind of starting out and he's he's great in it as well. And the scenes in this film are very intense. It's a very intense film. Wouldn't be like me. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> but he, you, the actors kind of knew that, but they, they understood the truth of what we were trying to say with it, you know? So they were, yeah. they weren't easy days. Like day three was pretty heavy. There's some pretty heavy material um, but the actors, they just absolutely knocked it out of the park because they, again, they cared about the material, they cared about what we were doing. And if we had to do another one to get what we were doing, they were happy to do it too because they wanted to serve the film as opposed to me or themselves or yeah. whoever, you know. So, um, 
but to answer your question where I see myself in five years hopefully directing a, a feature film yeah I think you how will. will I be in five years 32 well I want to have a feature on the go by the time I'm 30 that's the plan so that's a good idea that's a good aim to have I think yeah yeah I, I can't wait so. to see uh animal and whatever else you do cheers man um after thanks that thank you so much for being on this podcast of course man absolutely thanks for having me on and i've been listening to all the episodes it's been great so far so oh thanks i definitely won't be listening to myself though <laughs> 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 no there's no need you just yeah. put it out there and let it find who it's yeah. gonna find absolutely. all right it's great to see you man cheers man thanks for Bye bye. so that was my conversation with cody farron it was really great to hear him talk about his love for film and his dedication to his craft i'm looking forward to seeing what he does next And I hope you guys will tune in next week for the next episode. This has been Press Play and Surrender. Thank you for listening. Please consider subscribing wherever you find your podcasts.